and welcome to The Rufus Project, your fortnightly guide to geek, movie and local entertainment news. And boy do we have a fantastic episode for you today. After last week's rantiness, we're bringing it back to keeping it on task, on focus and a lot more fun. We have a look at a few of the more interesting developments in the geek news of the last fortnight. We take a look at a kick-started reboot of an old game franchise with Tesla Effect, a Tex Murphy adventure. Christian talks about the 30th birthday of a very important movie character. I review Divergent, and then we'll see if yet another 90s movie failure has any redeeming features. Make sure you keep listening for the local wildlife section as we have a chat with Jackie Peterson from the Our Village People Variety Bash team. Christian will fill you in on some of his upcoming events, and don't forget, we have those competitions for you to win stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Rufus Project. Welcome back to the short, peppy, and above all, the not-too-serious geek news. So what's been grabbing our attention for the last fortnight? First up, on the Conan O'Brien show, George R.R. R. Martin admitted that he writes Game of Thrones using Wordstar on an old DOS computer. Frankly, every time I got the old abort retry fail error, I felt like killing someone too. In the ever-increasing pool of comic book to TV adaptations, we saw trailers for Gotham, focusing on a young James Gordon in the Batman universe, Constantine, and the Flash, which focus on the characters of those same names. Of course, we'll probably have to wait a while before these shows hit our shores, unless you have alternative arrangements. In other TV news, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been confirmed for a second season. That makes me happy. Looking at movies, and Guardians of the Galaxy dropped a super fresh trailer just this week. What makes that a little bit out of the ordinary is that three days beforehand, they actually dropped a teaser trailer for the trailer. Luckily, the full trailer delivered, and it is incredibly awesome. Check our YouTube channel for the bonus content, because I'll certainly have that in the playlist. You know, I normally try to avoid getting overhyped about movies, but damn, I'm failing on this one. Roll on August. Not long after it was revealed that Netflix is now taking up about a third of peak internet traffic in the US, pretty much swapping with the amount of peer-to-peer traffic from about four years ago, the Australian ran a story saying that Netflix may be launching in Australia within the next 12 months. Of course, this could have just been a carbon copy of the previous stories that we've had from time to time about the rumours of Netflix launching in Australia. It's not going to happen, and if it does, it's going to be a vastly crippled and much more expensive service. So in the meantime, perfectly happy to have it unofficially available in Australia. But of course, where would the Rufus Project Geek News be without yet another story about piracy? This week, Andrew Harris from APRA AMCOS, which is one of those rare, decent companies that are attached to the music industry in that they actually distribute royalties to artists and a non-profit themselves, stated that he felt the argument that convenience, pricing and content would reduce piracy was false because music piracy still exists. Of course, he completely failed to mention that digital revenue of music is way, way up 
Numerous studies show that those that pirate music actually spend more on music than those who don't, and pretty much shows even the rare nice guys in the music industry are still focused way too much on the all-or-nothing approach to piracy. Sorry, the internet's won. Focus on maximising your profits with what you can do now, okay? Stop wasting your time and effort trying to stop something that will never fully be stopped. Okay? My name's Tex Murphy. I'm a small-time private investigator in the big city of New San Francisco. Tesla Effect, a Tex Murphy adventure, follows on from the previous Tex Murphy game, Overseer, which was published way back in 1998. Now, that's quite a time frame between sequels. But while Microsoft had the rights to this game, they refused to let it be made. So once the makers got the rights back, they turned their attention, and this is actually a Kickstarter success story. What year do you think it is? For those not familiar with the Tex Murphy games, I suppose you could say they were the high point of the 1990s obsession with full motion video in video games. But instead of just being a mildly interactive movie where people have to respond to certain cues on screen to keep things going, the Tex Murphy series instead focused on full video cutscenes, but all the action took place in front of CGI graphics. This meant that when you actually played the game itself, it was actually a 3D exploration adventure game of the point-and-click variety. Tesla Effect certainly does not mess with this formula. I'm a big fan of forgiving and forgetting. Mostly forgetting. If you're a fan of the previous Tex Murphy games, you're not going to be disappointed with this one. In fact, there are certain objects or situations that trigger flashbacks to the previous games. If you're not someone who's reveling in the nostalgia of the series, however, then you might have a few more problems with this game. Essentially, playing the game boils down to exploring an area looking for clues or objects you can use. There are some environmental puzzles to overcome to allow progress, and the more information you have, the more things you can ask the other characters in the game about. As you get more information, more of the game world becomes available, and bit by bit, you unravel the mystery. Do you have disturbingly realistic, vivid dreams of another era? Along the way, there are more involved puzzles, involving either memory, pattern matching, or mathematical sequencing. I mean, if you are familiar with this style of adventure game, then you pretty much will know what to expect from these sort of puzzles. They don't always make sense in the context of the game world, but the whole purpose is to challenge the grey matter. Now, being a full motion video game, of course, there's plenty of people acting their hearts out. And acting ranges from cheesy and campy right through to what were they thinking with this particular actor. Whatever happened to that big, lovable moron? If I'd asked you that two days ago, he would have punched me in the face! This is not really helped out at all by some awkward moments against the green screen in which the computer-generated backgrounds are presented. It does look pretty awkward when they're apparently walking down a corridor and they're just marching in one spot. And there is a pretty painful section where characters are meant to be crawling through a hole in the wall. And just the extreme care they're taking to obviously try to maintain the appropriate height to make it look like they're going through the hole that isn't actually there. I think I may be making things sound a bit worse than they really are though. This style of 3D 
exploration puzzle adventure game isn't all that common in more recent times. So if you do have a yearning to test the grey matter and don't mind a bit of campy cheesiness along the way, then Tesla Effect, a Tex Murphy adventure, should keep you going for quite some time. <laughs> nice, classic Tex Murphy. really excited to announce on Tuesday the 17th of June at the Chanel Theatre UQ, I'm running the 30th anniversary screening of the 1984 cult action classic The Terminator, starring the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. You could say that The Terminator was director James Cameron's chance getting into the big time. His previous film was Piranha 2 this morning, so really when you've got that sort of credit to your name, you are looking to develop your career even further. He reputedly sold the script for a dollar, to the production company under the stipulation that he actually directs the film. Otherwise, you'd only be known as the Piranha 2 guy for the rest of your career. James Cameron actually got the inspiration for this movie in a dream one night. The Terminator is about an indestructible cyborg who is sent from 2020 to assassinate a waitress, Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor? Yes. Whose unborn son will lead humanity in a war against the machines. A soldier from that war is then sent to protect Sarah at all costs. James Cameron was very much influenced by 50s sci-fi movies. Heck, he'd even directed Piranha 2 with Roger Corman, who was the king of 50s sci-fi. And he was even inspired, interestingly enough, by our Mad Max 2, or aka Road Warrior. The Terminator started filming in 1983, and, and on a, in a bit of a side note, Dino DiRolentis actually um, had an option in Swartz, an Arnold Schwarzenegger's contract, which would mean that he'd be unavailable for nine months of the filming while he was off filming Conan the Destroyer. During this wait period, James Cameron was contracted to write the script for Rambo 2, so that wouldn't, might not have ever happened if they hadn't had this break, and they were also able to um, refine parts of the Terminator script to make it even better and discuss a sequel to Alien. So Schwarzenegger's time off actually resulted in a lot of other big films of the 1980s. It's really funny to think that O.J. Simpson, for the former football player, was originally cast as the Terminator. But thank God the filmmakers realised I don't think they could see him as an alien killer, so they ended up settling with... Arnold Schwarzenegger. Orion Pictures released the film in 1984, but really felt nothing about it. They didn't put anything into the release of the movie. They put it on limited screens for one weekend. However, it was then word of mouth and some clever promotional and merchandising that actually took the film to the number one spot. It's remained the number one film in the US for two weeks, which is, you know, is a big deal. And the film eventually ended up grossing a profit of over $70 million. Can you stop it? I don't know. I'd love to say The Terminator was influential in the development of the action film, and I, and I suppose very much it was. It brought in, um, like films around the time, you know, like Blade Runner, Alien, um, they all brought in sort of, you know, a different side to the future and a different side to androids and aliens, you know. In the wake of E.T. from 1982, you started to realise that not all aliens were cute and cuddly. That said, E.T. being cute is also debatable. Movies like The Terminator showed the future as dark, dirty, chaotic, and it depicted these aliens and androids as quite hostile and dangerous. And this uh, computer thinks it can win by uh, killing the mother of its enemy. It's so hard to think of pop culture without the, the quote, I'll be back. It is so ingrained in our psyche. Arnold Schwarzenegger actually wanted I will be back to be the line, because as due to his pronunciation, he found it hard to say the word I'll. 
He ended up stumbling over it, and subsequently it has been used in other movies throughout his career. I really think that'll be the one he'll be remembered for. Arnold Schwarzenegger only says a total of 58 words in the whole movie, so learning that script would have been quite easy for the gentleman. So let's go back to where the Terminator franchise all began and where James Cameron's career really took off, pre-Titanic, pre-The Abyss, pre-Avatar. So I get along to the Chanel Theatre on Tuesday the 17th of June at 7pm for a screening of the original movie. Tickets are $10 at the door and please bring your friends. I'll be back. 100 years ago, after the war, our founders created a system they believed would create lasting peace. Divergent, based on the novel of the same name by Veronica Roth, is the latest in the now ongoing trend of taking hip young adult novels and turning them into ongoing movie franchises. Twilight was the one that really set this ball rolling, followed by The Hunger Games, so now it's Divergence's turn. I guess the question is, is it enough of a divergence from the previous pap given to us by the likes of the Twilight Saga? Divergent takes place in a post-apocalyptic world, where the city of San Francisco has been walled off to keep everyone safe. In order to keep the peace, the society has been divided into factions. They divided society into five factions. The only way you can survive is for each of you to claim your rightful place. And on everyone's 16th birthday, they go through a test to determine what their best faction is, and then they get to choose which faction they want to join anyway. Where Divergent gets its name is that there is occasional people who don't fit any of the moulds, and that's where our main character steps in. Your results were inconclusive. That's impossible. It's not impossible. It's just extremely rare. You're able to control and conquer your fears. They call it divergent. Beatrice, played by Shailene Woodley, sits her test and, funnily enough, finds out she's divergent. After being told to keep a low profile and having the test results falsified so it matches those of her parents, what does she immediately do? goes and joins the most extravagant faction available. This makes things even more complicated for her father, who just happens to be the boss of San Francisco, whose rule has come into question. So by having his daughter desert him, it really doesn't do much to shore up his support. Beatrice, who renames herself Triss very early in the movie, then has to deal with proving herself to her new faction, hide the fact that she's divergent, and ultimately... Save the day. To say Divergent is unoriginal and predictable really is an understatement, but frankly, that's pretty much the least of its problems. First, there's the whole faction system, which starts off as an interesting concept. Essentially, the factions involved in San Francisco are Abnegation, the Selfless, Amity, the Peaceful, Candor, the Honest, Erudite, the Intelligent, and Dauntless, the Brave. But to make things easier, I'm going to call it the Charity Workers, the Hippies, I can't recall Candor at all because they barely featured in the movie, the Lawyers, and the faction that can give us the most action without actually requiring any plot developments. Welcome to Dauntless. Let's just call them the Jocks for short. Tris starts out working with the Charity Workers, Abnegation, in case you forgot, who are the ruling faction. And of course she decides to go with the jocks because, well, that makes for a more exciting movie. The movie itself really focuses on the jocks 
and the lawyers. And the head of the lawyers, Janine, played by Kate Winslet. Divergence threatened the system. It won't be safe until they're removed. Appears to be a very nice, caring character, but it's just absolutely obvious that, well, she's the wicked witch of the movie and spends most of the time as the sweet old apple seller. Shanley Woodley as Triss also doesn't paint much of a confident character. Even when she finally realises who she really is, you're still just not convinced that this particular character can carry this movie. It's obvious that the makers of the movie were hoping Triss would be another Katniss Everdeen a la Hunger Games, but she seems to need a bit too much saving on a regular basis to be convincing in that sort of role. Of course, once she joins the jocks, it's also obvious that she doesn't fit in. Initiates, we will be watching to see who you really are. You made a mistake choosing Dauntless. So between choosing a different faction than her aptitude test indicated she should, and then sticking out like a sore thumb during all the training montages that keep going on to try to build the tension, will she make it? Won't she make it? Of course she'll make it. It wouldn't be a very long movie otherwise. It's a wonder that no one pegged her as a divergent within the first 20 minutes of the movie. Along the way, she is assisted by fellow jock, a fellow known simply as Four, played by Theo James. I know what you are. And frankly, if you don't spot that he also has a special secret, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, very similar to Triss's, again in the early stages of the movie, then you're not paying attention. And I wouldn't blame you for not paying attention. The acting is decidedly average. As I mentioned before, the plot is incredibly predictable. You know, I've actually made a deal with myself that while watching this movie, if it could manage to surprise me, I would give it a better review. As you can probably tell by the tone of this, it didn't surprise me at all. That one's the real bad guy, these ones are going to die, they're going to get together, he's going to be divergent as well. Every prediction I made came true very quickly. And frankly, putting up with any movie for 2 hours and 20 minutes until the camera majestically pans to the sequel, I mean the horizon, well, that's just a bit too much to ask in this particular movie's case. In short, The Twilight Games, I mean Divergent, really isn't worth your while. But if you really feel like watching a movie with similar sort of themes, then you're probably better off just revisiting The Hunger Games. Avoid this one. It's crap. The world is changing. You'll have to decide who you're loyal to. This episode's redeeming features were actually staying in 1995. I really wasn't planning to follow a theme from last week's Mortal Kombat, but hey, if I find a movie that's nice and dodgy from the same year, why not? So today, we're going to have a look at the 1995 movie Judge Dredd, starring Sylvester Stallone as the title character. Adapted from the comic book of the same name, it was interesting that it actually gave some of the writers of the comic writing credits. So you have John Wagner and Carlos Esquera, both very well known when it comes to the Judge Dredd comic books, given credit as character writers. However, it soon becomes clear that they had very little to do with the story or the screenplay. 
For those unfamiliar with Judge Dredd, it is set in a post-apocalyptic dystopian society. Most of the Earth is ravaged by radiation, and the remaining population lives in giant cities known as megacities. These megacities are way overcrowded and violent and crime is incredibly rife. To keep things under control, you have the judges. A police force where every officer, the judges, has the right to sentence perpetrators on the spot. And sentences can be everything from five years in detention to summary execution. Even without the sheer prolificness of the internet at the time, there was still quite a buzz amongst Judge Dredd fans when this movie was being made, and a lot of people were very, very excited by the prospect of seeing their favourite judge up on the big screen. Then the movie came out. So, almost 20 years down the track, and after a much more critically acclaimed and popular Dredd movie was released back in 2013, let's find out if the 1995 Judge Dredd adaptation has any redeeming features. You're a legend. You were my finest student. Well, from the get-go, this movie promises a lot. In the background of the opening credits, you get to see actual comic book covers from the Judge Dredd comics, which does give you hope that the creators of this movie intended to be pretty faithful to the source material. The effect is slightly spoiled by a pretty cheesy voiceover, but then you get to see Mega City 1. And again, you have that hope, you have that feeling inside that the makers of this movie are respecting the source material. Things start going downhill again when we meet Rob Schneider as Herman Ferguson. Excuse me? Who is a citizen who has just been released from detention and is about to be reintroduced into society. We get to put up with a few minutes of his shenanigans until he's deposited into the middle of a block war, again something very faithful to the comics, and the judges turn up. Seeing the outfits and the bikes of the judges really took me back to when I first saw this movie. They get the costumes spot on from the comic books. It's really a very good representation of the judges. And again, the Judge Dread fan of me had hope well up with the thought that maybe I had misjudged this movie. Then they open their mouths and you realise that the comic books also had better acting. About 15 minutes into the movie, we have the moment that outraged Dread fans worldwide. Not only had we had to have put up with Sylvester Stallone's pretty bad acting, he then takes off his helmet. That's one of the defining features of the comic and the character, is that you never actually got to see Dredd's face. So to have this movie have such a fantastic setup with regards to setting the world and the characters from a visual point of view, if not so much from an acting point of view, well, let's just say there was pretty major outrage from the fact that the helmet off was just a complete disregard of the source material. The Judge Dredd movie was also quite a powerhouse when it came to actors in it. Now, Sylvester Stallone and Rod Schneider, you don't expect much from them. But when you have such acclaimed actors as Armand Asante... Jurgen Prochnow, Max von Sydow, Diane Lane, Joan Chen, just to name a few. It's kind of surprising when probably the most convincing character and best acting in the film is actually done by Ian Drury, of Ian Drury and the Blockheads fame, who has a small role as a shopkeeper, who gets to meet the bad guy upon his return to Mega City 1, and, well, promptly gets shot by said bad guy. But still, seriously, Ian Drury gives the best performance in this entire movie. Another great aspect of this movie is the fact that it's set 
in the future, but you have things like getting disconnected from the network causing a busy signal that is very reminiscent of what you would have expected to have heard in the 90s. There's also an extended sequence where they're doing a bit of photo editing and analysis. And again, the technology on show, let's just say it's very, very 90s. There is a highlight in Sylvester Stallone's performance, though. There's one section where he's in deep consideration, looking at an old justice statue from back in the 20th century. Doesn't say a word, just looks off into the middle distance with his strangely dead eyes. But what raises this scene is the incredible, bombastic, flamboyant and completely over-the-top dramatic musical score that accompanies Sylvester Stallone staring off into space. I almost wanted to applaud. Now this is a 90s action movie so it's full of cheesy one-liners and there's a particularly annoying catchphrase that Sylvester Stallone decided that Judge Dredd should use throughout the movie. However, that's all made up for with this one line. I should have put you down myself, personally. You know, I never understood that. That's some pretty quality dialogue right there. Now, at the end of that, I left in a little bit of Amanda Sante as Judge Rico. He seriously overacts his butt off in this movie. He goes so over the top, it makes you wish there was an Academy Award for overacting. All it would have taken was actually seeing bits of spit flying out of his face as he's ranting on. And I probably would have been convinced that this guy was criminally insane. Now, being a 90s action movie, there is plenty of gunplay and violence, but probably the most convincing fight scene actually occurs between Diane Lane and Joan Chen. And it's not your typical, ooh, it's a girl fight. No, these two are having a full-on punch-up. And the cherry in the top is... Magic. And the icing on the cake in this movie is that from 15 minutes in, when that helmet comes off, and just the bad portrayal of Dread by Stallone all the way through the movie, they manage to finish off with the ultimate outrage moment. The compulsory movie kiss. Judge Dread doesn't kiss anyone, you fools! Oh, gee, oh. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I promised I wouldn't bring my outrage to this, okay? I'm sorry, but he kissed her! What? Uh, no, stop. Okay, breathe, breathe, breathe. <sighs> so, have I convinced you to give the 1995 adaptation of Judge Dredd a try? Let me know. And as always, if you do watch it, let me know what you think of me afterwards. Even if I haven't convinced you to watch this particular movie, I would still highly recommend the 2013 Dread. Not only is it a much more faithful adaptation of the original source material, it's just a much better movie. Court's adjourned. A few weeks ago, Christian and I both had the distinct pleasure of performing at an interactive film screening of Can't Stop the Music. The Village People movie. The awesomeness of this night was certainly enhanced by the fact that it was all for a good cause. It was put on to raise money for the Our Village People team for the upcoming Variety Bash. As an added bonus, I got to sit down with Jackie Peterson from the Our Village People group to talk about Variety, the Variety Bash, and what other events they've got planned. Enjoy! 
Okay, so today we've got a very special guest for the podcast, Jackie Peterson, who's a part of the Our Village People group, <laughs> the, uh, the Variety Bash. Uh, so, Jackie, welcome to the Rufus Project. Yeah, thank you, Trevor. Excellent. So, um, I suppose just to start with, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you normally do? Okay. Um, well, I am a community development officer and I work for Moreton Bay Regional Council. So that's the large council north of Brisbane that used to formerly be Pine Rivers, Caboolture and Redcliffe. And my role involves supporting not-for-profit community organisations through training, funding, capacity building. Excellent. And, uh, I mean, you're doing quite a bit with variety now. I've been with a variety bash, so can you give us a bit of a rundown of about Variety and, and the actual bash? Yes, well Variety Queensland um, is a charity that supports children and families, disability or yeah, the families that are really struggling due to their, their situation. Um, so Variety Queensland provides things like um, equipment for, for children, so for example hoists, um, wheelchairs, hearing aids, anything that will um, improve the life of that child and therefore the family. So it's an interesting charity because they fund directly to the families and clients. It's not a funding program for community organisations. The families themselves can apply and, and seek support. So, yeah, and so the Variety Queensland and the, the Variety Bash is one of their largest fundraising events across the country. Now, I know it's just not just you. What about the other, other ladies and Yes, well, there's three of us um, doing the bash together this year. So there's Carmel Reithmuller, and she's the manager of Chameleon Housing, which is the crisis accommodation for homeless young people. And then there's Nettie Griggs, and she works for Queensland Health, and she man- manages the Naramar program, which provides support to young Indigenous mums. So we're all very passionate about supporting community, and Carmel had the variety bash on her bucket list. So... We said, okay, let's do it. Hence, we're doing it. Fantastic. So, why the village people came? Well, <laughs> this, is, this is a great story. Uh, we, we've had a lot of support, and I also um, sit on the board of the Our Village Foundation, which is a philanthropic funding program formed by um, Shane Newcomb from Village Motors, because he wanted us to, a way to give back to the community. So... We were very grateful for the support that Village Motors and our Village Foundation have provided to us because they've given us a car to do to take on the trip, the bash. Um, because in the bash, you have to be driving a car that's a minimum of 30 years of age. <laughs> and we don't have old cars. Well, my car's a bit old, but um, we needed an old car and Village Motors and our Village Foundation found us a 1980 VC Commodore Vacationer V8 Immaculate. So we've got this awesome, awesome car. So we thought it's only fair that we do the bash as the village people. Fantastic. How much are you hoping to raise and how is it going so far? Well, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, the, the Bash is one of the premium fundraising events for Variety Queensland and Variety Australia and each team that enters the Bash has to raise a minimum of $8,500. So a lot of people, um, when you see those Bash cars, they're just covered in logos. They get a lot of corporate sponsors, but they're usually business people that have business partners. But we're community organisations, <laughs> uh, so we don't have those connections. So we're madly trying to raise the money in um, more creative ways. And as you know, we had the, the screening of the village people, Can't Stop the Music, and thank you, you guys were awesome. And that was a fantastic <laughs> fundraising event, except that was the day that there was a six-car pile-up on the highway which shut both north and southbound traffic and everything was diverted through Redcliffe and then the Hornibrook Bridge, the Houghton Highway was shut down, closed 
accidents and yeah there was the one night of the year where people could not get to Redcliffe to attend Can't Stop the Music yeah. so our next event <laughs> we're doing a fundraising trivia night uh, with an 80s theme and you guys are, have kindly offered to assist us with some performances again. <laughs> Remember, this is about you. <laughs> no, but it's a great partnership. Oh, we're very you, grateful you. for your support. <laughs> if people can't make the show or can't make the trivia night, what else can, can people do to, to help contribute? Well, people can um, always um, donate to Variety Queensland. If you're, you are donating and you'd like to support our team <laughs> donations, um, you just need to quote our team number, which is 9622. YMCA, get it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're trying trying to get sponsors and donations. My parents have generously donated a thousand dollars because they're really keen to see me do the bash <laughs> and to follow our journey. And we do have a couple of sponsors. The Quota Club of Redcliffe have sponsored us, and the Bongaree Neighbourhood Watch have sponsored us. And they're community organisations that work really hard for the little bit of money that they have, so they're being very generous to support Variety Queensland. Wonderful. You mentioned the trivia night. Was there any other uh, events you had planned at this stage? Well, not events per se, but Bunnings have been fantastic and have offered us opportunities to spend quality time at Bunnings selling raffle tickets. And we spent the day out there yesterday. We have great raffle prizes. Again, a lot donated, big eskies, full of grog, which is a great prize. Um, (laughs) The Hensel Street Quilters donated a beautiful quilt. And we've got restaurant vouchers, so we're madly just selling raffle tickets. And we're finding that we're quite popular at Bunnings because we do do this in costume. And uh, it's quite entertaining, I think, (laughs) for the people. And especially because my main character in The Village People is the construction worker. And Bunnings have managed to get me a pink hard hat, which is awesome. And then I bought online some pink workwear boots, um, still cap toe reflectors, the real deal. They're awesome. And then I went to a swap meet and found a tool belt. And it's it's the real deal too. And I said to my husband, I said, oh, I need some tools for my tool belt. And he gave me a spatula and an egg whisk and said, get back in the kitchen. But that's okay. Because I'm claiming it. I'm owning it. And it's quite an interesting sign to see me at Bunnings with my hard hat and my spatula. It generates a lot of interest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carmel that we're doing the bash with, she's the copper. And Nettie is the cowgirl. We do have a blow-up bikey in the car, um, (laughs) which in Queensland is a little bit risky. So if we see a police car, we have to let the air out. And I have been blessed. My friend Rosetta from Byron found an awesome Indian headdress. So at night time, I'm doing Indian glam. I'm a construction worker during the day, but Indian glam at night. And the Indian was probably the best, one of the most glamorous ones in the movie, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I probably wear a, a, a few more clothes than yeah, yeah, he, he does. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> Fantastic. So was there anything else you, you'd like to add? No, I'd just like to thank everybody for their support and enthusiasm. And and please do follow our journey. We have set up a Facebook page, Variety Bash 2014, Our Village People. And we'll be able to share the journey um, on the bash. Uh, We we leave from Suncorp Stadium on the 8th of August. And we head out through Western New South Wales, through Cobar and Bathurst. And we'll be keeping everybody <laughs> informed of our journey <laughs> and survival, hopefully. When we get to Sydney, 
because it's the 25th anniversary of Variety Bash Queensland and the 30th anniversary of Variety Bash Australia, they're anticipating a total of 600 teams from across the country. We're all going to end up in Sydney. Channel 9's doing a documentary and we're going to be going over the Harbour Bridge, all $600. So we have been fortunate as well. JT Press, which is a business in Redcliffe, they've offered to do the vehicle wrap. And if you guys watch those car shows, you'll see how they can do the vehicle wraps. So our VC Commodore will become pink. And we are thinking of having like an Indian headdress flowing down the back of the car. So we will really stand out on Channel 9 in the documentary. So you'll be able to say, oh, I hadn't heard about them. (laughs) Very nice. Of course, I'll I'll put a link to the Facebook page and especially that code for donating. That'll be in the description down below the, the podcast that everyone's listening to right now. And I'm supposed to wrap it up. And the most important question of all, what is your favourite Village People song? (laughs) They're all great. But (laughs) after we we did the screening of Can't Stop the Music, it's just Milkshake. I just can't get it out of my head. It was stuck in my head for a week. (laughs) (laughs) And and the costumes in that were so fantastic to do the all white. And I'm sitting there going, okay, now we need some all white costumes as well. We, we were trying to work out if we were going to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it was quite inspiring, milkshake. And, you know, we are three women doing the Variety Bash as the village people, so we, we need a female kind of link, and milkshake does it for me. Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for, for talking to us today, and, yeah, thanks for talking to the Rufus Project. Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully uh, all you guys come, come on down to the trivia night on the 19th of June. Yeah. Write that in your diary. Now. Yeah. 19th of June. <laughs> uh, what were, it was at the... It's at Moncomo Hotel. So 6 for 6.30 start. Um, and obviously it's all things 80s. And I've had so much fun scouring um, garage sales and markets looking for some great 80s prizes and gifts. And gee, those Rubik's Cubes are hard to find. There's not many of them out there. But for any girls listening, just think glow mesh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you guys have been to that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, yeah, thanks so much for talking to us, and um, yeah, best of luck, and hope you get get the money raised, and look forward to seeing you on Channel Nine. Great, thank you. Thanks a lot. We launched the new Globe Theatre Cinema on Tuesday nights with some B-grade sci-fi movies, and it was great to see the response from people. We're really looking forward to being able to um, do more movies in the venue, everything from music films to 80s cult classics to some anniversary screenings. So keep watching out on Facebook, New Globe Theatre, and um, also through my website, christianfletcher.com. Now to look at some things coming up in the coming weeks. On Wednesday the 4th of June, the Room 60 events continue at Kelvin Grove Urban Village with Roger Corman's 1980 Star Wars rip-off, Battle Beyond the Stars, starring George Papard and John Saxon. 6.30 for that, and tickets are only $5, and get there early for drinks and dinner. As we've mentioned before, Tuesday the 17th is the 30th anniversary of The Terminator at the Chanel Theatre at UQ. Wednesday the 18th of June, if you're into a bit of dark 80s music, it's time for a recap of the career of The Smiths. With a screening at Lock and Load, a pop-up screening at a bistro in West End, this screening will take place at 7 o'clock with music videos, docos and concert footage. Friday the 20th of June, be prepared to do the time warp again as Cards for Sorrow bring your favourite cult movie to life as an interactive floor show alongside a screening of the movie. This is taking place at the Chanel Theatre at 8pm and um, tickets will be available at the door for $15. 
Get your dose of retro on the 27th of June with an 80s versus 90s party. Make your decision on the 27th of June when we have this party from 8pm till midnight at St Paul's Tavern in Spring Hill. Costumes are a must. And now it's competition time. We've still got those copies of the critically acclaimed BBC miniseries Small Island to give away. It was well reviewed and has also won awards. Trust me, I am looking at the Wikipedia page as I speak. So if you want to check out the show that Sam Molliston of The Guardian said, BBC does big budget Sunday night dramatisation minus bonnets and breeches, yay! That also stars Naomi Harris, Ruth Wilson, David Oyeloa, and Benedict Cumberbatch, then all you got to do is comment Island. Critically acclaimed BBC drama not your thing? Don't worry, we've got you covered too. Thanks to Christian, we have a double pass to the 30th anniversary screening of Terminator at the Chanel Cinema on June 17. I've had the pleasure of seeing Terminator on the big screen before, and I can highly recommend it. To get these tickets, simply put the comment Terminator down below. And when I say down below, I mean on our Twitter page, on our Facebook page, in the comments on the Podomatic page, or even the comments of the YouTube page. All the links are in the description below, but hopefully you're already familiar with one of those. Good luck. Thanks for listening to The Riffers Project. If you've enjoyed this show, remember you can subscribe through iTunes or via Podomatic.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter or Facebook for regular geek news and podcast updates. And finally, be sure you visit our YouTube channel so you can check out videos relating to the stuff that we've talked about in this episode, and you can even listen to the previous podcast episodes. Be sure to let us know if you have any feedback or any suggestions or requests for future episodes. And if you're feeling particularly saucy, why not review us on iTunes? So until next time... I don't have a witty sign out, so feel free to add your own. See you then. judged you myself personally seriously that was the best line that could come up with i guess i figure by that stage of the movie everyone knew it was a pile of tripe